Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. So let me begin by asking you to turn to 1 John, 1 John in chapter 2. Look there in chapter 2. And let me begin by telling a story about a young man that I met out at the Carlbrook School. Now, if you haven't lived in Halifax County long, you don't know that the Carlbrook School was a private school for emotional learning and transcript rehabilitation, we'll say, that once operated out in our county. And I did some ministry there for a, a few months, one year was leading a Bible story, a Bible study a couple of times a month and did an Easter service. They had asked me to come out and I'd done an Easter service. And so after one of the Bible studies, after the Easter service, I was having dinner together with another student. We'll call him Dave. And these are high school age students. Dave was a handsome young man. He was tall. He had intelligent eyes and olive skin and curly black hair. But there was this kind of furtiveness about him. There was an extreme anxiety about this young man that you could see if you watched him for very long. He was definitely not at peace. So I had been providing two services out there a month for a while, and he was among the 30 or so students that attended the Easter service that we had that year. But this was the first time he had showed up at the Bible study. And so at the end of the Bible study, I said, hey, let's, let's have dinner together. So we went over to the cafeteria and, and we're having dinner. The other student that was at our table got up and left, excused himself for a few minutes. And Dave finally looked me right in the eye and he asked this question. Can God really forgive anything? And I said, yes. So that's why Christ died. That's why the, the true identity of Christ, we've been studying that in the Bible study, that's why the true identity of Christ is so important. He isn't just a good man. He's the perfect man. And he isn't just supernatural. He doesn't have just some sort of supernatural spirit. As the infinite God, only he could pay the infinite price, and it's been paid. So, yes, he can forgive anything. And then Dave said this. He said, when I went to the Easter service, I was so afraid, I thought that lightning would come down and that God would kill me for daring to go to church after the things that I have done. And I said, God can forgive anything, Dave, but you have to believe him. You have to put your complete trust in him that he did this for you. Well, the other man came back and Dave had to leave. But I want to ask you to consider for just a few minutes and you'll see two major things that are behind Dave's anxiety. Number one, he has an extremely sensitive conscience. He was aware, maybe for the first time, of his sin. Whatever it was, I never learned. And second... Dave had a reasonable fear of punishment. He was aware of the wrath, the judgment of God. 
and he was anxious about it. One of the chief causes of anxiety in our lives, and the one that we are least likely to admit, is that we have sinned against God, and we know we deserve judgment. We're conscious, there's, a, there's an inner consciousness of this, but instead of facing it and calling it what it is and admitting it to God and asking for forgiveness, we bury it and we go on because we don't want God fussing around in our business. And so we bury it and it comes out in other ways. It comes out sometimes in destructive symptoms like anxiety. Well, I thanked God for the evidence of grace in Dave's life. And I hope that he heard and that he responded to the truth that I was trying to share with him. He was gone shortly after that. Dave would not have been aware of his problem if it had not been for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about some weeks ago that the Lord promised. He said, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. I was watching that happen in this young man's life. And I rejoice over the fact that God was bringing that to his consciousness. Sometimes we make light of the judgment of God. You know, we say, we'll say, God will get you for that. But wrath is really, God's judgment is really no laughing matter. God's judgment is not a laughing matter. Look please there in the passage in John, 1 John chapter 2, just verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, in the New American Standard, which is a little bit more literal, woodenly literal translation of the Greek New Testament, the word there for atoning sacrifice is propitiation. So I'm going to use those phrases uh, interchangeably today. Propitiation is the same thing as atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what Dave needed to be rid of his fear was, he needed this propitiation. He needed to understand that Jesus Christ had been punished for his sins. And all of those sins were paid for. And, and this propitiation has to do with the concept of wrath. The wrath of God as it's revealed in the Bible. Wrath is revealed in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. It is not just an Old Testament concept. In John chapter 3, verse 36, he writes, He who believes in the Son, Jesus said this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, present possession. He has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, and listen, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God is not only in the New Testament, it is a present tense kind of thing. The wrath of God is not something that is coming someday in the future. The wrath of God just is. It exists right now. And on the day Christ is revealed, that wrath will be revealed 
with him. In the Old Testament, just one example, Psalm chapter 7, uh, verses 11 through 13. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he, that is the wicked, does not relent, he, God, will sharpen his sword and he will bend and string his bow. He, that is God, has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. So God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It is a present tense reality. It's not something that we're waiting to happen someday. God's wrath exists right now. People today seem to get away with anything as if God does not exist. But God's wrath, when we understand it, is present tense. And that present tense should make us anxious. It really should make us anxious. Al Mohler, who is the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, tells a story about a 94-year-old man who was living peacefully, had lived peacefully in Oak Ridge, Tennessee for many, many decades. His neighbors were shocked when the FBI came to arrest the man. Federal prosecutors convinced the court that this man, Mr. Berger, was part of the SS machinery of oppression that kept concentration camp prisoners in the torturous conditions of uh, death camps in Nazi, in Nazi Germany. So at age 94, Mr. Berger must have imagined, says Moeller, that he would, had gotten away with it and that he would die in peace in that ranch house. But something happened that he could not have envisioned. The SS cards identifying him and other prison camp guards had been on a boat that was sunk by the Allies. They recovered some of the uh, items in the boat but the, in, the, in, in the 1950, but these cards had disintegrated because of the water. But modern technology all the way up in the 2000s meant that these cards could be reassembled and the names and the information of these SS cards could now be fully understood, which led the prosecutors to this 94-year-old man named Mr. Berger living, in, living quietly in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Devorah Fish, who's the director of the education for the Tennessee Holocaust Commission, said this, every time that somebody is brought to justice, even from 50 years ago or longer, that is a message to the world because we're not going to stop until everybody is brought to justice. Even if it's something you did years ago, it will catch up to you. God sees all. And it does not matter how much time has passed. His judgment is as sure as the sunrise. Wrath is a present tense reality. And people who go to their graves without having first trusted in Christ and the propitiation that he made for them go and face that wrath alone. Now, we have a problem sometimes when we talk about wrath. It's not a very popular concept anymore. Most guys in my shoes don't talk about it much. And because, because of that, we're kind of confused about what it means. When we express wrath, it's usually because we've had our feelings hurt. Or our pride is injured. Or we haven't slept well the night before. <laughs> Or 
on rare occasions we express wrath when justice and righteousness are at stake. Our wrath is often irrational and full of fury and personal malice. We get personally resentful towards people and we express wrath. God's wrath is never like that. God's wrath is never irrational. It is always based on something objective. I love how John Stott, the late John Stott, explained this. God's wrath is his personal antagonism to evil and his vigorous opposition to it. His personal antagonism to evil and his vigorous opposition to it. It helps make the distinction between holiness and wrath. Stott goes on to explain that holiness exposes sin, wrath opposes it. Holiness exposes sin, wrath opposes it. And God's wrath, as the scriptures say, God's wrath staggers those that it falls upon. One of the images of the wrath in scripture is a cup of wine that knocks the drinker to the ground. And there are many such passages. Let me just quote a few of them. Psalm 75 verse 8. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Isaiah 51, 17. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes men stagger. And then Revelation 14, echoing this in verses 9 and 10. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or in the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. The wrath of God staggers those who are under it. It weakens us, it clouds our thoughts, it sickens us until we die. It is so bad, we would wish for lightning bolts to end our misery. Unless we know Christ. And if we know Christ, we are free from that. But our innate knowledge of the wrath of God without Christ makes us anxious. It is one of the root causes of anxiety in people. We have a problem with the idea, however, of a violent God. We have a problem with this concept of a violent God. So let me th let's think about it this way a little bit. You remember Flight 93 on 9-11? Flight 93 was the fourth airplane that was on its way to crash into either the White House or the Capitol building. Remember what happened when the passengers talking on their cell phones to loved ones found out what was happening and it, this wasn't just your garden variety skyjacking, that there was something desperately evil going on. They were horrified at it. That's what happens when holiness views sin. It's horrified at it. What happened next? Well, if you know the story of Flight 93, some of the passengers got together and what did they do? They opposed this evil violently to the death. It had to be stopped. And you think, well, all those poor people in the plane died. Well, they were going to die anyway. And probably with a whole, uh, with a lot more people besides. So once they understood the evil that was happening, that's the holiness part, 
Then they vigorously opposed it. They violently opposed it to the death. God's holiness sees all sin and it's horrified by it. It cannot, sin cannot ex- ex- exist in the presence of God. It's like if we were to send a satellite too close to the sun, what would happen to the satellite? It would just be burned up. Sin cannot exist in the holy presence of God. Therefore, his wrath opposes it and swallows it up. It opposes violently and vigorously ungodliness and the unrighteousness of mankind because it is repugnant and horrifying to all that is holy and good. Now, here's what happens when we hear a story like that and then we think about ourselves. Wait a minute. I'm not a terrorist. I've never attacked anybody. I don't even like to fly. Why is God angry with me? It doesn't matter. Because the holiness of God is so infinite that the tiniest sin is massive and horrifying to him. The point is, our sins, our tiny little insignificant sins, aren't tiny and insignificant to God. The Bible says that when we break one commandment, we've broken all of them. Isn't that harsh? That's the nature of sin. That's how desperately evil it is. I like the way C.S. Lewis explained this when he was talking about sins of thought. One man is so placed that his anger sheds the blood of thousands, and another so placed that however angry he gets, he will only be laughed at. But the little mark on the soul may be much the same in both. Each has done something to himself which, unless he repents, will make it harder for him to keep out of the rage next time he is tempted and will make the rage worse when he does fall into it. Each of them, if he seriously turns to God, can have that twist in his central man straightened out again. And he is in the long run doomed. Each is in the long run doomed if he will not. The bigness or smallness of the, of the thing seen from the outside is not what really matters. So the mass murderer and the one who hates have the same stain on their soul. Only the physical results are different. If you want a little biblical reference for that, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. So here's the deal. Most of us remain unaware of our sins because the physical evidence is small. We're not mass murderers. We're not terrorists. So the physical evidence of, say, our hatred is small, but it's there nonetheless. And it's inside of us, and it's doing this enormous damage. And, it, and sometimes because we know that we're not allowed to express it because we're good Christians, it comes out, it manifests itself in other ways. Like just a surly, negative, critical attitude all the time. 
short-tempered. Or did you know that 95% of depression is suppressed anger? Did you know that? And depression and, and anxiety are kissing cousins, if not brother and sister. So most of us are unaware of those sins and we're unaware of the danger that we are in until we hear a sermon or a story that wakes us up to it, like my friend Dave at the Carlbrook School. And then we become aware of it, and then we begin to become anxious because we know about our sins. That is when the moment of decision comes. That's the moment of decision. If you are in a situation like that, and you have anxiety, you have depression, now we're going to talk about other sources of those things later, but this is the core, this is the heart of it. If you're in one of those situations and you have anxiety or you have depression, the very, very first thing that anyone should do, but especially a believer in Christ, the first thing that anyone should do is say, like we talked about last week, Lord, examine me and see if there is any wicked way in me. Show me my wayward thoughts. So first things first, God, I want to deal with my sin before you and confess it and humble myself before you. Then I can move on. But we need to get there first with Christ. The word propitiation means that Christ absorbs the wrath. Atoning sacrifice means that Christ absorbed God's just and righteous punishment on our behalf. That's what the cross is. We still have problems with that, And it's a difficult concept to understand. Sometimes you can see this by a story I read from Bob Beasley, who was a pastor in Canada. He said, I had a three-year-old daughter, Rena. She was sitting with us during a baptismal service on a Sunday night, which was a new experience for her. And she watched her first baptism, and she looked, you know, children, when they're in church, they never speak quietly to their mom or dad. Why he pushed that guy in the water? Why, Dad, why? So my wife tried to explain it to her, and she was, as best she could, quietly in the service. The service is going on, but the kid wouldn't be satisfied. And she said, we we tried to explain to her that Jesus was washing people from their sin. When they come out, they're clean. They're going to try to be good. And a minute later, we said, we realized that we were still going to have to work on our explanation. When she said, why didn't Pastor Bob just spank him? We understand intuitively that when we do wrong, we deserve to be punished. But we don't want to understand that. And so we suppress it. Push it down. I don't want to know that. I don't want to deal with this. I guess you know this by now that nothing you push down inside your soul stays there, right? It's all going to come out one way or the other. The most healthy way for it to come out is in confession and in trusting Christ and his atonement for our sins. That's what the song means. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. So think back to my first story. Why did Dave think God would strike him down deep inside? He knew. He knew. 
So, this is why counseling, as helpful as it is, and I'm a big believer in counseling, I've got a shelf full of self-help books back there on counseling. Don't hear me saying that I'm not happy to have that resource. But this counseling can only give us coping mechanisms. Only justice can cleanse our consciences and set us free. I'll say that again. Counseling is good in that it gives us coping mechanisms and sometimes it'll help us even find those things down inside that we're not conscious of. But it can only, help, it can only give us a coping mechanism. It cannot give us propitiation. It cannot absorb the punishment that we know that we deserve. Only the cross, only Christ can do that. And only trusting in him can cleanse our consciences. That's the word I was looking for. Only trusting in him can cleanse our consciences and make us free from these guilt and anxiety and depression causing things down inside of us. There are a lot of places in the Bible that talk about this. I'll just give you a few verses. I won't go there. Romans 3, verse 25. He uses the word atonement or propitiation. Romans 5 Verses 8 and 9, we're saved from God's wrath. This passage that we're in here, 1 John 2, verse 2, 1 John 4, verse 10. Propitiate is a very, very old word, and it means turn away the wrath by an appropriate sacrifice. And only Jesus can do that. Have you trusted him to be your propitiation, your atoning sacrifice? If you haven't, now's the time. Let's bow and pray together. Father, I thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. He wasn't just a good man out doing good things. He wasn't just a wise teacher out teaching wise things. He was the only, he is the only son of God who died a substitutionary, propitiatory propitionary death on our part. He paid in his body for our sins. He paid infinitely for our sins. Thank you so much for giving us your son so that we could be free of all anxiety and fear of the just judgment that you render on the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.